gospel readings about the resurrection of Jesus. And I would, if I ask everyone in this room today, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? We would say, yes. I dare say we would, the people in this room. From the beginning, the people of Jesus have believed this. The earliest known creed that a group of believers would have said together, at its, it's called the Apostles' Creed, at its center, is, it says this about Jesus, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Descended into hell, rose again from the dead on the third day, ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty today. Think a little bit about what this meant to the early followers of Jesus, the women. Uh, The passage that Grace read makes it very clear who Mary Magdalena was, how her life had been impacted by Jesus. She had had demons inside of her. And Jesus had cast out the demons. Now this man who she was following, this rabbi who she loved, this man who had cleansed her and given her a new lease on life, is dead. He's dead. And I I want to just dispel any myths you might have about whether Jesus really died. One of the arguments against Christianity has been that Jesus didn't really die. That they, he was not quite yet dead when they put him in the tomb. Well, first of all, Romans were really adept at killing people. And a Roman centurion who is responsible for the death of the executioner would have made very sure that anyone in his charge was dead. That, that theory is that, that some way he was buried while still alive and somehow recovered full health in three days, they're, they're absurd. When you actually stop and think about it, it's absurd. The other thing uh, that, that initially people at, at least tried to cause people to believe is that somebody took him out of the tomb and that he's now a figment of their imagination. Or, or, or that they hit him. Uh, now, who would have hit him? Though, first to ask you this: Who would have hit him? One of the gospels, I think it's Matthew, makes it clear that there is an entire uh, portion of Roman guards who stand guard at the tomb. They're there. They're guarding the tomb. Actually, they have to bribe those guys. You don't bribe somebody for the truth. You don't bribe somebody for the truth. You bribe them so they'll not say the truth. And the Roman soldiers were bribed. They were paid. And uh, so his followers didn't take him. And it's it's absurd to think that the Roman authorities took him. Like what point would there be in that? And the Jews, they didn't want any kind of rumor coming out that he was still alive. And and again, while it's important for us in this room to embrace at least... uh, in, in, our, in our emotional and spiritual and intellectual and mental capacities that Jesus really died and he rose from the dead. Not all the world does. But I, I like to back up and say, uh, go back to the Apostles' Creed. And again, uh, 
some of my sermon this morning has been tremendously influenced by some of the reading I've been doing in N.T. Wright recently about Jesus. And uh, the Apostles' Creed, again, I'm going to read the portion that belongs to Jesus. Uh, This is talking about Jesus. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, descended into hell, rose again from the dead on the third day. And I I was thinking about that passage. And by by the way, I still get goosebumps when I think about what I'm going to read next. And it's an interesting portion to read on resurrection morning, but it, it applies. Please turn in your Bibles to Daniel 7. Daniel chapter 7. And one of the things that I began to think about is, and uh, I was led to think about this through some of the reading I was doing and so on, is what happened to Jesus from the time that he died and he was put into the tomb until his followers saw him again? What happened? What did he do? What did he do in that moment? The Apostles' Creed says he descended into hell... And whether that is a literal Hades, we don't know. We weren't there. But I think Daniel 7 gives us some clue at what Jesus did in this this time. Now, Daniel 7, Daniel is having a vision and a dream. And it's so terrifying that that he's terrified by the vision and dream. But he's also strangely comforted by the dream. And in this dream, he sees four beasts. And these are, these are great and terrible beasts, he says. There's a lion with an eagle's wings, who, who the, the wings are plucked up, and he stands on his own two feet. And he has a mind of a man. And there is a bear with three ribs in his mouth. He eats, he devours flesh, it says. And then there is a leopard with four wings. These are all happening in Daniel's dreams, and, and this is real. Uh, it's, it's, we are guilty sometimes of reading passages like this and thinking it's too fantastical to be true. But they're not. This is happening. And then there is a terrifying and dreadful, using Daniel's words, fourth beast who is exceedingly strong. He has great iron teeth. He has feet that stump. He has ten horns. And then another horn comes up. And in Daniel's dream, this is what happens. As I looked, in verse 9, thrones were placed And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the cloud of heaven there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Let's just stop there. Let's just get the picture here. So 
The Ancient of Days is clearly God the Father. It's not the Son of Man. It's not Jesus. It is God the Father. It's the only time that the God is referred to as the Ancient of Days. He is the one that was from the beginning. He's on this throne. These four beasts are there. Okay, remember the, the one beast, the, the, the worst one of these beasts, is this great and terrible beast that overpowers all the other beasts. He is, he, he is one who is going to take over the earth. And then uh, uh, the first set kind of closes in verse, in verse uh, 10. It says, the last part of verse 10, And the court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. And there's this pause. And I saw... And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And I believe that this, I don't, we don't know in exactly time when this happened, but it has to be connected. Who is the son of man? And by the way, the word there, one like a son of man, it doesn't mean that it looks like Jesus, but it, has the, it is the representation of Jesus. So it is the son of man. Who is the son of man? Who is it? What happened in those three days? I think this happens in those three days when Jesus is is presented before the throne of God and he said, I took everything that that beast could throw. I took all of that death, everything that was in that beast's power. I took it and I took it to the cross and I nailed it there and I gave my life so that my people can follow me. So that Mary Magdalena and Marcus can be freed from the power of of the demons in their lives. And, and think about what happens in Daniel's vision here. It says, And behold, with the clouds of man, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days. He is presented to the God, the Ancient of Days. He's presented, and it is God the Father and God the Son coming together with God the Spirit. And suddenly, the, the beast, the one with the... Lo- with the the most powerful, most terrible, dreadful beast is killed. His power is lost. It's gone. The other beasts have some power left, but they are not the ultimate beast. The ultimate beast is destroyed. And what we, again, prophecy is not meant to be intended to be read for us to try to figure out when it ha- will happen or if it has happened or anything. It is happening. And so the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is as present with the Ancient of Days as it was 2,000 years ago when it happened. And Jesus is before the throne of the Ancient of Days and, and to Him was given dominion. To Him was given dominion and power and, and, and a glory and a kingdom that all people, all peoples, Nations and languages should serve him. So who should we serve? The one who has the power over death. The one who rose from the dead. And so it, sometimes we want to try to figure out why you know, did John outrun Peter. By the way, that's really important that John records that he outruns Peter. You don't want to know why? It's not just because he was a better runner. It's because if Peter would have gotten there first, Peter could have gone in and hidden Jesus. But Peter doesn't get there first. John gets there first. And then John, the eyewitness records, I stopped and didn't go in until Peter came up. So no one had went into the tomb and could have possibly hidden Jesus as it's recorded in Scripture. 
So it's very clear. But even backing up from that, and think about the cosmic effect, the, the, the powers of darkness and the powers of light, the angels of darkness and the angels of light looking in on the events on that Jerusalem hill 2,000 years ago when the powers of darkness rejoice when the king of light is hung on a cross. And then the king of light is put into a tomb and somewhere in that process he is presented before the ancient of days and suddenly the powers of darkness realize their ultimate fate has been decided. They have lost. And then to the people of God, to you and to me, is given this freedom to be a part of something much bigger, much grander than just church. It's a part to be part of a kingdom with a ruler and a leader who has conquered the ultimate enemy of mankind. I would love to read all of Daniel 7. I'll keep it moving here. And uh, I'm going to just, I'm going to pick it up in verse 19. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying, with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet, and about the ten horns that were on its head, and other, the other horn that came up, and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth, and spoke great things that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. The time, and the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. When do we possess the kingdom of Jesus? Right now. It's right now. The kingdom of Jesus isn't something in the future. It is present tense. We are part of the kingdom. And when God sent His Son into the world... To free us from the power of sin. He established a beachhead onto Satan's territory. It's like D-Day. He's, he's back in the territory and he's making a fight. And to us, the children of God, is given the freedom to fight for him. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, as, as for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from, from all the kingdoms and shall devour the whole earth. goes on and talks about that. I want to pick it up. In verse 26 again. But the court shall sit in judgment, and its dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. Their kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. Those are powerful words. In today's world. When the entire world is based on power. And who has more than everyone else. Suddenly we realize that we have ultimate power. The power that we don't have to be afraid. The power that we don't have to fear death. The power that we can live our life in such a way that transcends humanity. That we have something much greater to live for. When I read Daniel 7 uh, uh, two weeks ago is when I first started kind of making this connection to here. When I read Daniel 7, I, I still, like this morning, I want to cry. I have goosebumps. Because suddenly, the freedom to live is given to us through the saints of the Most High. Freedom to walk without fear. Fear. 
Now, I think the biggest testimony to this happens a little later in the book of Acts, in Acts 12, when Peter and James are put into prison. And it says, Herod the king wanted to keep them in prison because the Passover was, until the Passover was over. By the way, that's not an accident that that passage is, it says that, until the Passover was over. Who else was killed right after Passover? Who else died right after Passover? Who else rose from the dead right after Passover? Jesus! He ate the Passover meal with his disciples, went out and died. And Herod wanted to keep Peter and James in prison until after Passover. And one of them dies. James. And it's, it's, that's it. But you know what? That's not it for James. He gets to live well. And he lived well. But Peter, this man who had denied Jesus, who had run away and, and, and actually was around the fire there, and this, this uh, maid servant said, now wait a minute, you have the accent. You have that funny accent that those Galileans... He said, I'm not... No, I'm not from there. I don't know the man. This is the Lord is following. And a, a year, probably a year later, or maybe several years later, at the very time the cock crew crowed, and Peter would have always, when he heard that sound, would have always equated the two. The cock crows, Peter's in prison, and suddenly the angel is standing beside him, smites him on the side with a sword. <laughs> I, always get a kick, I always get a kick out of that because he's sleeping in prison. Surrounded by guards and the angel either has to kick him or smite him to wake him up. And Peter gets up and walks out and walks into the streets. This man who is strong and bold. Why? Because he had experienced the resurrection power of Jesus. He had experienced the power of Jesus that Daniel 7 is talking about. And so in the same way in our lives you can experience that power. And I think there are three things that the resurrection gives us today according to Daniel 7. And, and the the first of those is the freedom from fear. We don't have to fear anymore. And again, I'm not talking about being scared of the dark, but the ultimate fears that consume us, that keep us bound up. And we all have them. Fear of failure. Fear of being ridiculed. All those fears. And we don't have to live with those fears anymore because we recognize that when we walk with Jesus, we have the ultimate power in the earth. And, and you know what ultimate power is? You know what the ultimate power in the earth is? You know what the one thing is that can, can, can align kingdoms, that can, that can bring people into to relationship with Jesus, that can bring people into relationship with his, each other, is not force, it is love. And the opposite of fear is love. Our fears keep us from loving well. At least mine do. Fear of opening up. Fear of what people will say. All these fears, they, they keep us bound. But when we, when we are delivered from those fears, when we understand our deliverance from those fears, we suddenly have the freedom to love. And that is what will change our world. It's what changed our world when Jesus did that. So freedom from fear. The second thing is freedom over the power of sin. You know, Peter had some problems. 
But God delivered him, and suddenly he's bold, he's strong. You know, uh, one of the testimonies in Acts that they often say, that is often quoted about these men, these men have been with Jesus. You can see that these men have been with Jesus. Like, I wonder what people would say if they would say that about us. So we, we actually have the freedom over the power of sin. Sin does not have to control us. Lust does not have to control us. Anger, well, there is such a thing as godly anger. Uh, malice does not have to control us. So those things don't have to control us because Jesus died and rose again. It isn't enough that he died. He had to rise again. And in that rising again, he takes the power away from the evil one. So we have, we have freedom from fear. We have freedom from the power of sin. And maybe the most important thing is that we have freedom from needing to save ourselves. What is worse than a group of people who are trying to save themselves? They become isolated and insular and scared because they have to bring about their own salvation. We don't have to do that. Our salvation has been given to us as a gift. Whenever the New Testament talks about the gift of salvation to us, it, it always talks about it as being given to us. We don't, we don't work. Sure, we work after we... Let, let me back up. None of your good works, none of your do-goodness, none of your do-gooding and social justice issues. I embrace those things. I care about those things. But those things without the power of Jesus behind them are empty because they look like a group of people trying to save themselves. And the minute you begin to try to save yourself, you're going to try to save the people around you. So I'm going to try to save Chris, and then he has to become just like me. And there is, not, no, there is no unity in that. In, in fact, that creates... Uh, power structures that break down any kind of love that there can be. And so when we are freed from the power to have to save ourselves, we can embrace the gift of salvation that Jesus gives us, and then we work out our salvation because we want to, not because we have to. And there is nothing more powerful than a group of people who are doing what they want to do. But in order to want to do it, you have to de- realize the awfulness where you were delivered from. So the freedom from fear, the freedom from the power of sin, and the freedom from the need of saving ourselves. Please stand with me. I'm going to read again in closing. And I want you to put yourself into this passage. But the court shall sit in judgment and his dominion shall be taken away, to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of PCF. Shall be given to the people, sorry, shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That's you and I. We've been given that. And our kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom. And its dominion, and all dominions shall serve and obey them. There is so much strength in that, in the fact that there, this is a glorious thing. And I, so I return to the Apostles' Creed. Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. Make sure I quote it correctly. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, 
died, and was buried. Descended into hell. Rose again from the dead on the third day. Ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. That is such a beautiful passage. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, 